And for this morning, I asked Brother Hugh to lead Lord's Supper songs for a very good reason because our lesson this morning is on the Lord's Supper. And in particular, the institution of the Lord's Supper. I've done a couple of lessons here and there on the Lord's Supper, but I don't know that I've done one that focused particularly on uh, the institution of it. But that's where our study brings us today. Uh, our series uh, for this month and next as well is learning more about Jesus. We want to know more about Him. And particularly, we're looking at His final days on earth. And this is the second lesson in that series. Our text is going to be taken from uh, Matthew chapter 26. If you would like to turn there and follow along with us, uh, Matthew 26 is, is where our study will be. One of our most intimate moments with Jesus, one of our most intimate moments with God, whether we realize it or not, is when we gather around the Lord's table to remember His death, His sacrifice of body and blood for our own. And I think this would maybe only be second to, to prayer. Our ability to pray to God is something that, that is very special to us. It's, it's a, a very intimate thing between us and God. And it should be seen as, as very important to the life of a Christian. But as we look at the Lord's Supper, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made on behalf of man. The greatest sacrifice that any of us could ever imagine. Jesus himself said that greater love has no man in this than that he give his life for his friends. And Jesus was willing to do that. He willingly gave his life for us. And so we, we partake of the Lord's Supper until he returns for us. Our lesson objective, there's only one today. We basically want to learn more about the institution of the Lord's Supper, more about the setting, more about the, the context, and certainly its intent for partaking Christians. For those of us that partake, what is the intent? What does it mean to us? That's what we want to, to find out today. We begin in Matthew 26 and verse 17. And, and there are several verses before you actually get into the one that is labeled in, in most of our Bibles, I guess, as the institution of the Lord's Supper. But this is what leads into the Lord's Supper. In Matthew 26, we begin with verse 17. Matthew 26 and verse 17. Now on the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man. And say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. And so as we look at the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as it is mentioned here in verse 17, we understand it to be associated with this Passover, 
For the seven days after, the Jews were to partake of unleavened bread. We read of this in Leviticus chapter 23 and beginning with verse 4. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord. Holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. In Numbers 28 and verses 16 through 25, there is more detail in that passage regarding the offerings that are associated with this feast. But, but this is what we're talking about when we talk of this feast of the unleavened bread. It, it began after the Passover. Uh, and the Passover, we, we also know, uh, I think most of us are familiar with that, going back to the book of Exodus and, and reading of the, the different plagues and, and it ended with the, the death of the firstborn children. And so those who had the blood over the doorpost were passed over. And there's one song in our psalm book that, that I like that goes along with that thought, when I see the blood. But that's what we're talking about in the feast of the unleavened bread. Preparations must be made to partake of not only the Passover, but also for the seven days following the Passover. As we look at, at, at our text in Matthew 26, the disciples were well aware of Jewish custom. And they had spent a great deal of time with Jesus. And they knew that Jesus was planning to observe the Passover as well as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And they asked where this should be done. Jesus. Being the Son of God was not lax in observing the commandments of His Father. Every detail, everything that, that needed to be done, we know. Even though we're, we're not given great detail in Scripture, we know that Jesus did those things because that's what He was supposed to do. And He set a good example. He set an example for His disciples. Such an example that they asked Him. Without being prodded, at least not to our knowledge, uh, they, they asked Him, where are we going to, to do this? Where are we going to partake of the Passover? Where are we going to observe this feast of the unleavened bread? Jesus they knew was going to do that. And so they asked him where that would be done. And certainly as far as Jesus' example and in his teachings especially to his disciples, he taught them to do as he did. In observing the commandments of God 
He taught them to do the same. The certain man that is mentioned here in verse 18. And he said, go into the city to a certain man. This certain man must have been familiar with the teacher. And most likely the significance of the Passover also. Jesus uh, had gone about, he had done a great deal of teaching and, and healing and things of that nature. And it seems that he would, would have known who Jesus was by the way that they referred to him as the teacher. Did the disciples know, as we look a little bit further into verse 18, did the disciples know what Jesus meant when he said, My time is at hand? So back and read that verse again. And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. What did Jesus mean when he said, My time is at hand? Turn with me for a moment to John 12. Let's begin reading at verse 34. John 12 and verse 34. In verse 34, John 12, the people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Jesus was speaking here of the same thing that he was speaking of when he said, My time is at hand. It was very near that Jesus would be crucified. Very near that, that even after his death, burial, and resurrection, that he would also be ascended. And he would no longer be physically present with his disciples. And so he said, my time is at hand. There are occasions where Jesus alludes to this in the presence of his disciples, but I don't know that they ever really understood exactly what he meant until after it happened, until after he was crucified. But this would be the last time that Jesus would observe such a feast on earth. And the last time the disciples would observe it in his physical presence. Jesus was preparing them 
They were preparing for a place to partake of the Passover, but Jesus was also preparing them for what was to come. As we get into verse 20 of Matthew 26, we read of the intent of betrayal. The intent of betrayal. Matthew 26 and verse 20. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, had already started the process of betraying Jesus. He had already agreed to the terms with the Jews. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. When evening had come, this is, has been cited as somewhere between 6 p.m. and midnight, but when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they were eating, as they were sitting around this table, as they were observing this feast with Jesus, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. It was going to be one of the twelve who would betray him. It was not one of the distant disciples. It was not one of those who followed Jesus because they desired something from him. And it was not one of the many masses that thronged around him to hear his words of wisdom. It was one of the original twelve that were chosen by Jesus as his apostles. In Mark 3, beginning with verse 13, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, something, something close to that. That is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. In Luke 6 and verses 12 and 13, we read this of, of the same, same thing. 
Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. I think that's an important detail. And when it was day, verse 13, he called his disciples to himself and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. All the apostles were disciples, but not all disciples are apostles. These were special men that he chose to send them out with a message for the Jews. First of all, a message of repentance for them. And then after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, after his ascension, they were the ones that established the church. They taught the people the things that Jesus had taught them. They were the ones that were chosen for this mission. And Judas Iscariot was right in there with them. He was chosen with the other eleven. As we look at the observance of the Passover, the unleavened bread, the institution of the Lord's Supper. As all of this is taking place, Judas is right there. And as all of this is taking place, Jesus knew the identity of his betrayer. Can you imagine? Jesus knew the identity of his betrayer. As we look at this text, it's amazing to see that Jesus did nothing to stop Judas. He did nothing to hinder him from what he had already decided. The forthcoming events had been foretold in Scripture and they must be fulfilled. And later we'll look at the prayer, I believe next week, that Jesus prayed... If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But yet he did nothing to stop Judas from betraying him. The words of Judas are also very interesting. Whenever the other eleven are asking this question, Lord, is it I? They, they are asking, wondering, am I really going to betray you? Is it going to be me? But notice that when Judas asks the same question, he asks it with different wording. Matthew 26 and verse 25, Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered him and said, Rabbi, is it I? He did not say Lord. He said, Rabbi, teacher, is it I? Judas did not refer to Jesus as Lord as the others had. Was this a, a lack of respect for Jesus' authority? We understand that, that, that knowing what happened later, that his intentions in asking were not the same as the others. They were asking sincerely, Is it I? Lord, is it I? But Judas knew what he was planning to do. He knew that he was going to betray Jesus. 
But if he didn't ask that question like the other 11 did, how would that have turned out? If the others knew, would they have interfered? I think of Peter. Whenever Jesus was arrested, Peter drew his sword. He was ready to fight. He was ready to, to defend Jesus. What would they have done to Judas if they knew that he was the one that was going to betray Jesus? Judas had to, to play a part here. And I think that's exactly what he was doing when he asked the question. He wasn't asking because he was curious to know if he was the one that was going to do it. He knew that he was going to do it. But he was trying to set himself in line with the other apostles. He was trying to be like them so that they wouldn't suspect anything. I believe that's what he was doing. All this time, Jesus knew the identity of his betrayer. Then we get into verses 26 through 30, which is, is the main portion of this lesson. The institution of the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> In Matthew 26, and beginning with verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Using the, the same elements of the Passover and the Feast of, of the Unleavened Bread, Jesus shared with His disciples in the partaking of what we know to be the Lord's Supper. And it is interesting, at least to me, that in Jesus' final feast with His disciples, His final observance of these, He partook with them in the very first partaking of the Lord's Supper, the institution, the very institution of something that we observe even to this day, 2,000 plus years later. The bread. He blessed and broke it. He took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. It was representative of Jesus' body. In John 19, beginning with verse 17. John 19 and verse 17. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. Verse 28 of that same chapter, chapter 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. 
Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it on or put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Verse 31, Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. All my life I know that I've heard people mention the, the broken body of Jesus. And I guess it was broken in a sense that it wasn't whole. He died. But not one of his bones was broken. John is the only one that tells us of this instant. They pierced his side to find signs of life, and there were none. He was already dead. And when we partake of the bread, we remember his body, the body that he sacrificed on our behalf. Then we read of the cup. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. As we look at the cup, we see it as representation of Jesus' blood. In Romans 3 and in verses 21 through 26, Romans 3 and verse 21, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that he might be just and the justifier 
of the one who has faith in Jesus. It is through the shed blood of Christ that redemption, salvation, forgiveness of sins is made possible for man through his own faith in Christ and obedience to the Lord's will. Acts 2 and, and verses 37 through 39. In the establishment of the church, now, when they had heard this, when the Jews that were present in Jerusalem, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Same wording. I don't believe that to be a coincidence at all. The way that we come in contact with the blood of Christ is through obedience to the Lord's plan of salvation. Through faith, through confession of that faith, and as Peter said in Acts 2 and verse 38, as he told the crowd on that day of Pentecost, that in the establishment of the church, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Remission of sins comes through that blood. And until we come in contact with that blood through obedience, our sins have not been forgiven. So when we partake of the cup, it is a reminder to us of the blood that Jesus shed. <clears throat> the blood that He shed for, for all who would receive Him who would believe, who would obey. Those would be cleansed by that blood of their sins. And we're also told in Scripture of the observance of the Lord's Supper and how it is to be observed. Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11 and beginning with verse 23, said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I think I skipped a line. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In verses 23 through 25, we see this is a time of remembrance. It is a remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us. In verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. It is not only a remembrance, but it is also 
a proclamation. And in it we proclaim the Lord's death. We remember it and we proclaim it until He comes. Verse 27, Therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. It is a time of remembrance. It is a proclamation of the Lord's death. But it is also a time of self-examination. And should we leave one of those out, I think we would be amiss in how we partake of the Lord's Supper. We need to examine ourselves also. Make sure that, that we are remembering properly that our lives are what God wants them to be. We learn three lessons from this text, from Matthew 26. First of all, obedience to the commands of God. As Jesus had taught His disciples, so we must obey the commands of God. We are commanded to be obedient to the plan of salvation. That's only the beginning as far as our lives are concerned. We continue in faithfulness just as the disciples did, just as they set the example for us, just as Jesus continued in faithfulness to God. And as they prepared themselves for the Passover, for the observance of the Passover, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's also a reminder to us that we need to prepare ourselves when we come to worship. Have you made the proper preparation in mind and heart to worship God, especially to partake of the Lord's Supper? When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's a time when we put away from our minds anything, any cares of the world. We remember only Jesus' death. Have you prepared yourself properly to worship God and to partake of the Lord's Supper? We're also reminded of, of faithfulness to our commitment to Christ. In, in obedience, we are making a commitment and a covenant with God that we will remain faithful to Him. And I think of, of marriage as a good example of this. When we uh, commit to our spouses that we are going to remain faithful to them in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, till death. We do that same thing when we commit our lives to God in obedience. When we are baptized for the remission of our sins, we are committing ourselves to His service despite whatever we may face in life until death. And we need to keep that commitment. God knows our hearts. In James 1 verses 6 through 8, we have a reminder that, that if God is willing to withhold what we ask of Him based on our lack of faith, 
that he must know the intentions of the heart. He knows the intentions of your heart today. Just as he knew the intentions of Judas, so he knows us. And I pray that, that we are keeping our commitment to remain faithful to him, despite what we may face in life. And especially when we partake of the Lord's Supper, may we do so with the right mind and the right attitude of heart. First of all, in faith. We do so in faith and believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He did die for our sins, that He did hang on that cross, that He did suffer on our behalf. We do so in faith. And we also partake in remembrance. Remembrance of what He did for us. And we partake in love and respect for Christ's sacrifice. I hope that, that we do so when we partake of the Lord's Supper today. That we do so with the right frame of mind. That we do so in remembrance of Him. That we partake in a worthy manner. I hope that you're a child of God. I believe that, that most all of us here are. But if you are in need of responding to the Lord's invitation, then we give you that opportunity. Maybe you need to renew your commitment to Him. Maybe you've not been as faithful as you should. And maybe you need need help to do that. Maybe you need prayers or to ask for forgiveness. If there's some way that we can help you, we stand ready to do so. If you stand in need of responding to the Lord's invitation, we offer it for you. We pray that you would come as together we stand and as we sing.